What's up, everyone? Welcome to another special episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I am your host, Rob Santos, and I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today's episode is a celebration! First, and most importantly, Inking Out Loud has finally crossed the 200 episode mark. Today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. Drew is going to be doing some live reading from things he's been working on. I'm going to be telling some stories about what I've been up to for these past few months. And while we're on that subject, second, I'm back and I'm alive. Some of you are probably surprised to hear my voice again. Others are going to be like, who the heck is this guy? And to all of you, I say, what's up, everyone? I survived boot camp. Since I clearly haven't had any time to do writing of my own, my contributions today, um, as long as everyone's cool with it, it's just going to be some choice stories from my time in basic training with my platoon. And holy crap, what an experience that was. We'll get into that. But for right now, I just want to say, Drew, it's so good to hear your voice again, my guy. Let's kick this off. Dude, it's amazing to have you back on the show. I, yeah, like, unfortunately, this isn't, you know, a permanent return for Rob, but nope. We're going to use them while we got them. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to be explaining, you know, what I'm doing, what I've been doing, what I am doing and what I'm going to be doing. And that'll lead, of course, into, you know, how long it'll be before you guys can expect me back as a re- semi-regular host again. Unfortunately, it's going to be a while, but we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. For today, though, Drew, what exactly are we doing? So, yeah, we're just going to kick this thing off first, you know, 200 episodes. Like, I want to talk through just like the history of inking out loud, like mm. where we started some of the, <laughs> some of the crazy things along the way, maybe some of our, our favorite episodes, some of our highlights. Um, like we recorded our very first episode on the first half of a Elantris October, 2018. Yeah. October 27th, like, 2018. It's been more than four years. It's, like, like it's kind of wild for me to think about how how much my life has changed in those four years. Like, I you know I have a new career. I've man, like, I'm I'm five years into a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know we like it's just been been a whole lot of change, and uh, and at the same time, this podcast has been a constant. And I I love it for that. Yeah, the four-year anniversary of the podcast did not go by unnoticed on my end. Um, And not because it just happens to also fall on my birthday, but just (laughs) the fact that I'm I'm actually pretty good with dates. I'm actually pretty good with remembering specific dates. I'm just, I don't know. It's some sort of thing I can do about memorizing numbers. I'm really good with them. But it was on October 27th of this year. I did think to myself when I got back to my bunks. I was like, oh my God, it's the four-year anniversary of Inking Out Loud. I have to text Drew. And I was able to text Drew. I was able to text you a few times while I was in boot camp because the cell phone regulations are a lot less strict than they were years previously. You know, I was able to use my cell phone every morning to wake up, for example, had it with me. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that. So, hey, everybody listening to this podcast, what what is told on Inking Out Loud stays on Inking Out Loud. Let's just make that a rule going forward because... Um, I've been drinking a little bit tonight. I just had a Christmas family get together. It's, it's, you know, boxing day. So it's still in the Christmas spirit and I'm going to be uh, pretty loose with my stories tonight, but yeah, basic training was awesome. And the four year anniversary of inking out loud was definitely a day I had to text you. And I was like, Drew, 
things suck right now, but it's four years into Inking Out Loud, and I hope you're holding up well. I love you, buddy. Keep going without me, man. Keep it yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, it, it it was it was a little rough there, uh, you know, carrying this all by myself. I did not um, envy you, know, you that. I did not. You'd it. already been doing enough without me. I can just imagine, like, <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, the biggest thing, like, that I, I realized, like, is how how much less work it is when I can just be certain that I have somebody to sit down and record and talk to who will have read the work, you know? Uh, like, when I'm picking new books now, it's always a question of, like, all right, who am I going to get? Is it going to be Jared? Is it going to be Lauren? Is Are, are their schedules going to work out? You know, like, it's... Yeah. Uh, it, it just brings in so much more stress to the organization and running yeah. of the show. Because uh, we're um, all adults. We've all got full-time jobs. We've all got other commitments, yeah. right? It's like finding somebody who puts inking out loud down as like one of their top priorities, I imagine is just not something you come across. Yeah, it's it, it was... <laughs> man. And like I said, you know, like I had a lot of upheaval this fall. Um, you know, like the day after Rob departed inking out loud i was laid off and you know i had to kind of go through navigating a couple of months there where i had way more important things on my plate than scheduling and running a podcast and and i managed to keep it going the whole time but you know the buffer got eaten away i wasn't able to keep up on patreon rewards the way i normally am uh i'm still getting that back under control right 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 uh like there is, there is a lot. <laughs> it's just a lot. You know, but... I could, t- I could also tell cause I was in, in St. John there in uh, at the garrison in basic. And I actually signed on to be a, uh, a patron after I left. Right. Cause I was going to keep, you know, supporting the podcast that way. And I remember getting those, uh, those emails, those patron exclusive emails while I was in basic training and going and reading your whole spiel about it. And I was like, Oh, Drew, keep it up, man. Keep that torch going. This cannot be easy. But it gave yeah. me, it, honestly, it inspired me a lot. Seriously, it inspired me a lot while I was in, in basic training to, to read what you've been doing and keeping this podcast together. Yeah, meanwhile, you're busting your ass up at the, the heart yeah, but north. <laughs> that's day after day. I might have been going through some real shit, and we'll talk about what real shit I went through, but that was day after day. That wasn't like, um, I wasn't letting perhaps several hundred to several thousand people down the line down on an episode if I, you know, messed up a timing or something like that. So <laughs> what you were dealing with still deserves a shitload of respect. So thank you, my friend for, for carrying this torch and carrying inking out loud. Uh, in my absence, you did a phenomenal yeah. job. Yeah. You know, this, this has become a passion. It's become a, a labor of love for sure. Uh, I'm really proud of what we built over the last four years. And, uh, and yeah, like just, just thinking back, you know, some of, <laughs> Some of the most memorable episodes, like the Ready Player One episode with Rob Winchell. Oh, with Rob Winchell, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or if, we're, if we're talking about Rob Winchell, The Great Hunt, some of his moments on The Great Hunt were amazing yeah. too. I loved having Rob Winchell on. Yeah, yeah, you know, having having the invasion of the McCaffreys for Crossroads. Of yes, yes. Like, if we're going into episode, memorable episodes for me, I want to say is the uh, the end of a memory of light. When oh, no, no, yeah. not even the end of a memory of light. The previous episode, the penultimate memory of light episode, wheel of time episode, yeah. with the last battle and doing all of our toastings to each individual yeah. 
character who died in heroic ways and I was drinking Writer's Tears, uh, the Irish whiskey then. That was a hell of an episode, that one. Um, oh, the, yeah. the, the fire alarm that went off for yours, I don't remember which episode that was. Oh, that was, man, that Somewhere was in our we first were recording 30. in Pat's old basement. Yeah, so that was, uh, was near the beginning. That might have been a great hunt episode, honestly, because I, I remember we had ordered in Taco Bell, and that sounds like something we would have done. With oh, Robert I remember Chuck. that, and I'll tell you why <laughs> I remember that, because I was supremely annoyed. This is where I get to admit this years down the road when it's not as awkward. I was so kind of annoyed when you guys were just stopping to eat Taco Bell after the whole <laughs> – I had been sitting here for like 45, 50 minutes waiting to continue with the episode after the damn yeah. fire alarm interrupted us and you came back and you just sat down and started eating Taco Bell into the fucking camera <laughs> and into the microphone. I'm like, are we not, are we not continuing with this episode? Why are we stopping to eat Taco oh. Bell now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like the, the T bell had arrived and we were like just sitting down to take a break with it when the fire alarm went off and we had yep. to sort that out. There was no fire, thankfully. Yeah. But, but we came back and, <sighs> Everybody uh, on our end, we're like, we are all starving and we've been smelling and looking at this Taco Bell for like 20 minutes. It was like, sorry, Rob, like we're, we're digging in. You know? <laughs> no, you just reminded me of, of another story that I have to tell from basic training with a fire alarm. So I just wrote that down. That inspired me. Thank you. Thank nice. you. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as like memorable, I, like, uh, like uh, guests, you know, having Matt Stover on was incredible. Oh. Having Isaac Stewart has been just sublime. So many of our of our guests have been amazing, but even like like our uh, returning guests, Jared, Meg, Pat, uh, so many that I can't even bring to to name right now. The Rob Winchell stands in the legends, <laughs> equal amongst none. Uh, I just yeah. It's been well, yeah, a hell of a lineup. I, you you may not be aware of this because you've been a little you know disconnected from things, but Matt Stover just announced he's working on New Kane. Is he really? Yeah, he oh, said he's, he's yes. working on a, a sequence of stories taking place after Kane's Law, following multiple point of view characters across multiple universes. Oh, that's the yeah. good stuff right there. That's oh, the yeah. good stuff right there. That's what I want to hear. Hell oh. yeah. Yeah, it like, I mean, I'm thinking even even some of the episodes, the mishaps, you know, like having to re-record yeah. Shadow Rising. The one that will always break my heart was that we lost Water Sleeps when, Part 2. And had oh, to Water Sleeps that one. Part 2. For some reason, I almost said Winter's Heart Part 2. No, Water Sleeps Part 2, yeah. Mostly yeah. because of organic reactions on that one, right? Like, Yeah, that was, it was like the, the original version of that was like, two and a half hours and the version we ended up re-recording was half that you know yeah it, it, there it just wasn't as good um i i hope it was still a decent episode uh but man that one that we lost was like one of the best we ever recorded that was yeah for the both of us that was a moment of like i mean especially the losing the shadow rising uh, being our first big loss of content and then yep. water sleeps part two was like another oh crap like this is part of working within the industry you're doing a tech oriented job and tech oriented things are going to go wrong. Right. And that was a big loss. That was a big moment of crap. We are never going to get that back. How are we going yeah. to make that back? That was just, the, that yeah. was the episode that convinced me. I was like, we need to change how we record our episodes. You know, we've, we've since gone through Squadcast, and now we use Riverside and Riverside came through. We had an episode that the audio got lost. There yeah, was I remember a bad that. connection mm -hmm. and I reached out to Riverside support and they came back to me with the raw file and we 
I mean, it, it's not the best quality, but I don't suppose you remember which episode that episode was. Uh, it was recently. Uh, oh, it may so perhaps been... I don't remember that one. I remember one of those left off 99% uploading for a long time. I thought that was perhaps it, but that wasn't it. Well, then was it? No. Yeah, there was, um, it might've been one of our Mistborn Era 2 episodes. Oh, um, that, oh, shout that, out to Riverside. Yeah, the, when I went in and, and downloaded the audio files, um, I think it was my audio file or maybe mine and Jared's both didn't, weren't there to download. And I was like, what the heck? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was this weird thing where it had created two different studios and neither of them had the files in them. Oh, I remember you complaining yeah. about that. I don't remember it happening, but I remember yeah. you letting me know about that. That was like, a yeah, yeah. I remember reading but, that and going, what the hell? But Riverside support came through and they, they got me the audio files and, and that was big. You know, that, that's the sort of thing. Where I'm like, it is worth the money using this recording software. Uh, we're never going to experience a water sleeps part two ever again because of this. Yep. And yeah, but, but mm. man, I mean, like, ah, it's wild. 200 episodes. That <laughs> I remember us going, oh my God, we're at 100 episodes now. How have we done 100 now? It's three digits at this point. Yeah. Now it's like, give us two. Give us 300. Let's go on to three. I mean, you know? We've gone through the Wheel of Time, the Black Company, basically all of the Cosmere. We've done the Dresden Files, the Rune Lords. Ah. Like the Axe of Cain, the Gap Cycle, uh... We started into Gene Wolf. Heck, I was gonna know. say Gene Wolf is gonna take up a large part of our two hundred to three hundred. I imagine so. That's uh, that's fun to consider. Yeah, very likely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, it it's been it's been something, and and I'm really excited when this episode is coming out. We will have released episodes on the first of Brandon Sanderson's secret projects, and ah. Uh, oh. Which I know nothing about. I haven't been following those two. I've been like out of the loop Dude, on the whole I'm secret so project thing. To get to that, <laughs> yeah, I, I've been looking up. Like I read the state of Sanderson and when each you know individual uh, electronically published book is going to come out. You know, and I'm like, oh, I cannot wait for those. But I wasn't part of like the whole Kickstarter campaign, the backers and whatnot. So I am completely in the dark when it comes to the secret projects. I do not know what each of them are based on, what worlds they take on. I am absolutely at sea here, and yeah. I kind of. Like this is gonna sound weird, but like I envy I used to envy that in other people being able to experience things organically for the first time without any sort of like you know, pre existing notions, and that's me right now. I am that guy now, finally. I get to experience a whole body of Brandon Sanderson's work and what he's been doing for a long time, and I have no idea what to expect. I'm just so excited for that. And it's good stuff. It's yeah. really good stuff. And who knows, maybe I'll be able to like record something with you guys near the March break. I may get a week off for the March break holiday. Oh yeah. In fact, be, I will say really I nice. definitely do get a week off at the March break holiday, but unfortunately it also coincides with me finishing one particular class and then being posted somewhere else that same week. And there just might be a whole bunch of moving and bunch of crap. So yeah. I don't, I can't yeah. guarantee I'll be able to do that, but like, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm excited. It's been a different process, you know, for the last few years, we have had a, a, a pretty standard operating procedure for Brandon Sanderson new releases where we get an advanced review copy and, and Rob and I sit down and record episodes in advance and uh, 
because of the nature of the secret projects, NDAs, uh, they're not doing advanced review copies. I like, even if Rob had not been off in, uh, in, in the Canadian wilderness, <laughs> I don't think we would have been able to do those episodes normally yep. with Rob. Uh, I'm fortunate that, you know, I'm able to do these episodes with, uh, for, for secret project one. Um, I guess I can say the name now, huh? Like I, the book will have been out for. Like I don't even two know the weeks. name. Yeah, Tress of the Emerald Sea. Oh, that was in the State of Sanderson. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, but Lauren was a beta reader on that one, so she, you know, she's read the book. Um, Jealous of Lauren. And, What's and up? Shout out to Lauren from Seventeen Shard. He was also a beta reader, so we we kind of had that like grandfathered in where we didn't technically get an advanced review copy, but all three of us had read the book already. So we were able to sit down and, and right. And record episodes and record a, a spoiler free review and, and everything and have all that ready to go on January 1st. Um, but like, but that's going to be an ongoing thing throughout all of 2023 where I'm not going to be able to get advanced review copies of secret projects two, three and four. And I'm going to have to do them with Lauren and with other beta readers. Uh, but that's, that's also fun to me. You know, that's a, a new kind of a new dynamic thinking out loud. Uh, it's, you know, and, and, it, and it sort of fits because they're, they're new books. They're different books. They're not standard Sanderson. So yeah. Yeah. And I get to experience each of those as they come out and, theorize with everyone oh, dude, on everything have you read the lost metal yet rob so okay yeah this is this was part of my big <laughs> uh near the end of the episode books and review for 2022 discussion okay. i have um and since you know what I'll, I'll just go straight into to my impressions on the lost metal obviously i'm going to stay like spoiler f- mostly spoiler free here mm-hmm. but yeah that was the single most Brandon Sanderson book that I've been excited to read since the release of Oathbringer back in 2017 on every single state of the Sanderson update. My usual habit for many years now has been at first to scroll past everything necessary until I can get my update on the fourth wax and Wayne novel. And through 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, I was the guy that was getting, I was like, Oh, frustrated to see that's put off again and again and again. (laughs) Everyone who, who talks to me in DMS know how, how frustrated I was with that. But what would you know? The day it actually releases, what am I doing? Where am I? I'm out in the wilderness of Quebec, sleeping (laughs) in a dark forest in sub freezing temperatures covered in, leaves and mud i'm delirious with lack of sleep i'm eating rations i'm hallucinating the sounds of attacks on our bivouac i was almost a week back in school at saint jean garrison before i remembered oh my god the lost metal's been out for a week now right (laughs) so i downloaded the lost metal as an ebook on my phone and i read the entire thing between a friday evening and a sunday morning nice and as far as the lost metal goes i will say it was almost as good as it. I like I had hyped it up myself to be with like it, it had all the laughs, all the growth, all the wit, all the action that I was hoping to get. Um, after waiting six years between the bands of mourning and this one, uh, a few of my biggest predictions have yet to be addressed or come to uh, fruition in the Mistborn 
uh, era, so like, or the, the Mistborn side of things. So that was that was kind of disappointing. Um, I was hoping for more of like an all-out world-altering war and a massive paradigm shift in the ruling magic of the planet as a whole. But hey, that's still to come, I'm sure. So yeah, yeah I the, think you're right. <laughs> yeah, the Lost Metal though was awesome. It's still a Brandon Sanderson. I'm at the top of my game. Let's just flex my Cosmere knuckles right now. It was absolutely awesome. I had many times in my small little bunk in St. John Garrison reading on my little phone going, no, or going, yes, it was awesome. I give that one. If I were to give it like a random rating, 9.3 out of 10. It was awesome. Okay. It was awesome. Yeah, so yeah, the lost metal. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It was good. Nice. So, Hell yeah. To answer your question across 10 minutes, yes, I read The Lost Metal. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, it's it's so crazy to me, like, thinking how that book is just a month old. Um, and I'm like, I'm already kind of tired of it. <laughs> yeah. I was just very aware I of had... that, by the way. I was reading yeah. things in that book going, Drew, you read this like a year, year and a half ago, and you have just been totally stone-faced about this with yeah. me. Oh my God. How have you sat yeah. on this for so long? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, but that's, you know, that's that, uh, that double-edged sword that comes with being a beta reader where like, yeah, you get to read the book early, but at the same time, you're, you're not reading it in its best state and you end up reading it so many times. Like I read the lost metal four times before it came out and in various different versions of it. And, and so like when the fandom is all getting hyped up about the, you know, theorization and the conversation and breakdowns and analyses and everything, I'm like, I'm exhausted of this already. I, I, <laughs> love like, the I fact- don't really get to participate in the fandom the same way anymore, which is, which is a bummer, you know? Yeah. This is definitely a double-edged sword of also being able to retain as much information and reading as I feel Drew McCaffrey does. Cause for me reading a book four times, I'm still only remembering half, like actually retaining permanently half of what's going on, but you can read a book once or twice and you can speak about it at length myself i i take far more reads i feel like i'm gonna take 10 15 reads of the lost metal before i start feeling that same like just jaded okay i've experienced this all already you know it's gonna take far more reads for me and so i feel like it's actually beneficial to be (laughs) as adhd for lack of a better term as i am you know yeah and and it's definitely something like i i have to be on top of the details as a beta reader because there are things that change right you have to read the draft, in a different the way. Draft, and I have to remember what changed because I'm not allowed to talk about those details in, in, in any public capacity. And, and like, it, it's a reason why a lot of beta readers, uh, you know, the kind of original crew of beta readers who were brought on board because they were active, you know, visible members of the Sanderson community have since sort of disappeared from the community because everybody's afraid of, breaking the NDA. Everybody's afraid of messing up and yeah, accidentally revealing something yeah. from a draft that they're not supposed to talk I imagine about. It's so an, you get a lot of withdrawal yeah. and uh, you know, from, from the greater Sanderson fandom. Yeah. I imagine it's an incredible honor to be part of, instead of digesting something, to be part of what makes it great 
instead and to be part of the amongst the endless list of names that help to in any indirect way make a book better than it was that's why they have beta readers but you lose that part of yourself that gets to interact with the entire community at large and gets to theorize with everybody and be the one with those insane crazy out of out of just out of nowhere ideas you can't do that anymore and i imagine you lose a little bit doing that it's it's a very worthy price to pay and i respect every single one of you beta readers for being able to do that i honestly do yeah, yeah, like it's it's definitely a privilege. I enjoy doing it, but it, it is I've said it many times before, it is not all that a lot of people crack it up to be. So yeah. but but moving on though, uh I mean where where do we want to go here? Do we wanna go right into Rob uh Rob's stories? Do we <sighs> wanna do a, a reading? Do we wanna Boy do I talk have stories here in review? I've got so many stories. If you've got multiple readings, let's start with one of your readings because I'm telling I've I mean I'm, I swear I've got more stories from the past three months than I earned in the past thirty years of my life previously. I like <laughs> let's start with a reading, I feel like. All right. Okay, so uh, I'll use this reading as a little bit of a a similar catch up to talking about the period of our lives this fall after Rob uh, went into basic training and and had his experience uh, during the first two months of that. Really, um, I was busy job hunting because I lost my job. And when I wasn't busy job hunting, I was writing a new book. Uh, There may be some people listening to this who have already heard some of this, maybe read some of it. I think I've shared this on Patreon, but that's a pretty, uh, we have a pretty small subset of our listeners on Patreon, Um, like, like about half a percent of our regular listeners, I think are on Patreon. So, okay. Uh, but this is the opening chapter of the novel that I wrote this fall titled yes. the Prophets of Wollenvar. Sweet, sweet. The prophets of Wollenvar weren't the kind of folks you wanted to bring home to meet your parents. My luck being what it is, they came to town and they came looking for me. I was out sweeping the front porch of my tavern, the river lily. The sun was a mellow golden orb overhead, the sounds of a normal autumn day in Lavange washing over me, and a double column of the prophets came tromping down the cobblestone street. It was an impressive sight, their black robes swishing around ankles and their arcane stele held high. I wasn't the only one who stopped to stare. It had been nearly eight years since Lavange had last seen a prophet of Wollenvar, and that man hadn't exactly left as friends with the townfolk. Wollenvar wasn't a very nice god, you see. I muttered my blessings when they marched on by, heading for the square at the center of the town. No prayers to Wollenvar, these, but rather offerings of goodwill to the hill mother and the river warden. Thanks for their watchfulness. The dust in the road settled as their sandaled feet moved on, and I resumed my sweeping. Even with prophets of Wollenvar in town, I figured I could still make a tidy profit from the hard-drinking merchants, guards, and taxmen. The ever-vigilant gaze of the harbingers of the Eternal Arbiter couldn't slake dry throats, any more than Wollenvar could fill their pockets with gold. I'd simply make sure my clientele kept their heads down and mouths shut if those be-robed fanatics wandered in after sundown. Head? You just gonna stand there, waiting for the porch to sweep itself? I spun around, guilty of a moment of inaction. I'm not. Uh, I'll have it done soon enough. My wife stood just inside the doorway, smirking at me. 
Anka's dirty blonde hair was done up in a messy knot, her sleeves rolled up, dirt smudged on her cheeks and forehead. For all that, she was still the lovely woman I'd met at the regional fair five years past. Sure, Head, just be done in time to help me with the kegs. You know I can't get them out from the cellar myself. I smiled as she returned to the shadowed depths of the lily. Come nightfall, of course, it would be glowing with candlelight and laughter and the homey smell of good ale. I was lucky to have Anka, if I were to be honest with myself. She'd moved nearly 50 miles to be with me in Lavange, leaving behind her well-to-do horse-trading and brewing father, and at least one marriage prospect that came with lands. I finished my sweeping, watching the prophets file on by. The council would likely have words with them and send them packing, and if not them, then Brula, the hill mother's priestess. Someone would sort them out, I was sure. Anka was in the back, doing something incomprehensible with a pot still and barley. I never bothered to learn her trade in beer, preferring to experience the finished product. Which barrel do you want me to bring out for tonight? I asked. She looked up from her work and pointed at a small wooden keg set to the side of the room. Taking it up to the bar was a matter of only a few moments, and I returned to her workspace. I was just thinking about Apenthes. You saw the prophets of Wollenvar. I hear they're much more common in Apenthes. If we do move there, that might affect business. Anka sighed and stood up, stretching out her back. Maybe. I don't remember them being too hard on peddlers of spirits when they visited Belfar. Father had no trouble from them. I shrugged. Well, that's good. I just worry about the move. I know you do, Head. It took me long enough to even convince you of it. I looked away. I like it here. Lavange has always been good to me. Listen, Anka said. Lavange is a great town. I wouldn't have moved here to be with you otherwise. But we can do so much better in Apenthes. A real city, Head. Instead of waiting for merchants to come through during the summer and autumn, there's trade all year round. If I could get a real brewery going instead of this little room... Visions of silver sprouted in my mind, as they always did when Anka brought up her brewery. But where she thought of earning silver, I thought of spending it. Building and operating a brewery would be no small expense. I didn't bother mentioning that. She knew, and we'd already argued over it many times. I had to admit that her projections were sound, despite the expense, and a move to the port city of Apenthes was likely the smart choice. But Lavange was home. I allowed myself to pout for a moment. We'll need to save more. At least another year. That was conservative, but Anka didn't know that. We had a tidy amount of silver already stashed away. Maybe two years. Anka rolled her eyes and went back to work. When the time comes, I'll be ready. At least it'll give me a chance to work out some kinks in my process. Maybe try a few new recipes? Could give us some luck. Bring in more coin than normal. Luck? I chuckled. There's nothing about this that's luck. You're the genius. I just collect the coin. <laughs> my own luck was most obvious when the tavern was packed, as it was later that night. A caravan of Afavan merchants came trundling into Lavange just as the last crest of the sun dipped behind the trees to the west, and their guards and servants happened to be mighty thirsty. We'd just tapped our second keg of ale when the prophets came through the door. Just three of them, thankfully, but even that was enough to plunge the space into silence. They stopped just inside, long black robes pooling on the hardwood floor. One of them stepped forward, a man with severe cheekbones and intensely blue eyes. The infinite arbiter has touched this world. The augurs have made their pronouncement. The herald of Wolinvar is in Lavange and must be present for the rituals to come. Silence again. I opened my mouth, decided against speaking, and shut it again. Anka met my eyes from across the room and shook her head. It was one of the Afaven traders who broke the stalemate. 
His thick accent was hard to understand, or maybe he was simply deeper in his cups than I thought, but his belligerence was obvious. Your augers are full of shit. Go home. Well, that can't be good, <laughs> I muttered to myself. I stepped forward, again opening my mouth, but the lead prophet spoke first. You would do well to watch your tongue, Outlander. Wolinvar is not kind to those who utter such blasphemies. The Afavan snorted. I was in Astral eight months ago when you lot came through. You said the same thing there, and you sure didn't find any herald back then. The augurs do not lie. They were merely incomplete. The Afavan laughed with his friends. I felt my feet root themselves to the floor. No matter how much I'd like to settle things down before they turned ugly, I couldn't see a way out. The prophet scowled at their laughter. His face darkening, he growled, The hand of judgment has pulled back the curtain of knowledge. Wolinvar knows all. You Afavans would do well to remember that and turn from your heretic ways. At the word heretic, the Afavan lunged for the prophet. His fist struck the man across his cheek, knocking him to the floor. Chaos erupted, and it was not as one-sided as I might have guessed. Those prophets knew their way around a barroom brawl, it seemed, and they worked in concert to fend off the wave of Afavan flesh. I tried in vain to drag folks apart and got myself a split lip for my trouble. As abruptly as it started, it ended. Anka was somehow standing between the two groups of men, her face red. Men on both sides stared at her in shock. I myself had no clue how she'd managed to separate them. The mouthy Afavan glared past her, fists still balled at his sides. Did Wolinvar tell you about that, Prophet? Did he warn you earlier that you'd get your teeth punched in tonight? The Prophet narrowed his eyes. His cheek was bleeding from a cut, and he had indeed lost a tooth. His companions ushered him out into the night, but as he went, he shouted back, Never refer to the Blade of Judgment with such base words. Wolinvar's wrath will find you. Laughter chased them out into the street, and I let out a breath of relief. The Afavan called for more beer. How did you manage that, Anka? I asked when we were both behind the bar, refilling mugs. I don't quite know, Head. I just saw them acting fools and stepped in. They must have been shocked to find a woman in the midst. Anka chuckled. The Afavans at least don't typically let their women folk do much other than clean and spread their legs. Delightful, I muttered and turned back to the waiting customers at the counter. The Afavans <laughs> were louder than ever at their table. One had produced a deck of cards, and coins were clinking as they gambled. I rolled my eyes, but didn't remark on it. Gambling was foolish, and the Hill Mother's wisdom always spoke against it. I was just pushing a mug into the craggy, rough hands of a foreign miner when the Afavan died. Right there at the table, he up and died. I saw the beginning only out of the corner of my eye, but all eyes were on him by the time he stood up, croaked an oath in his mother tongue, and went as pale as his skin would let him. He crashed to the floor and didn't move again. Well, shit, I said, and about then the other Afavan started shouting about murder and poison. It was even more unruly than during the brief moments of the brawl. Two of them tried to force their way over the bar and lay hands on me, while some of my local customers held them back. Another checked on the very dead body of his fellow countrymen, and two more pointed fingers at each other. Apparently the gambling they'd been doing had raised some tempers. Again, it was Anka who settled things down. Shut up, all of you! Her voice rang out over the hubbub, and, wonder of wonders, they actually shut up. Someone go find the priestess at the Hill Mother's Temple. She'll know what to do. If any help can be had for this man, I'll go find the constable. The rest of you calm yourselves. If one of you killed him over a card game, well, you'd better hope you're at peace with your Afavan idols. And with that, she stormed out into the night. The Afavans continued arguing over the dead body, and it seemed the crowd had set aside the possibility of Anka or me being guilty. 
If the beer had been poisoned in the keg, more than one person would have died, and we couldn't have known which beer would end up in whose hands as we poured them. As we waited for Anka to return, Brula arrived. The crowd parted easily for her. Even had they not known her, a woman with wild gray hair and a dress woven of grasses is a strange enough sight to give pause. She crouched over the body, her eyes fluttering shut, and held her hands over him. She whispered prayers and sprinkled dry leaves from her pockets. Her brow creased as she did so, and he stayed, resolutely, dead. But when she touched him, his body convulsed, and she screamed. Everyone jumped back a step or five, giving her just enough room to flop to the floor, unconscious next to the again inert Afifin body. Well, shit, I said again. The chaos of the next few minutes somehow didn't boil over into further violence. My throat was raw from shouting when the doorway filled with new bodies. Anka returned with a gaggle of constables in tow, and the priestess had just regained consciousness. While people gathered around her and made sure she could get water down, I pulled Anka aside. Something's really not right here, hun, I muttered. I scratched at the meager beard along my jaw. I think the prophets might have done... something, you know? Something magical, you mean? She shook her head. The power of those gods has been gone for a long time, head. Let's see what Brula has to say, I replied, nodding at the woman as she regained her unsteady feet. The crowd pulled back a few feet, and she gripped the table to maintain her balance. After a shaky breath, she pronounced, There is no poison in that man. The hill mother tells me that he died by the hand of no man at all. Anka gave me a sharp look. I shrugged, but was too busy trying to convince our patrons to stay for another round or two. The priestess and the constables took the Afavin's body for proper documentation and funerary preparation. The Afavin's own rituals be damned. He was in Lavange now. And that was only the first night with the prophets in Lavange. Things got a lot weirder after that. Ah, uh, yeah, Drew McCaffrey. I'm first going to need a solemn promise that you're going to send me the entirety of this book after this. Sure. So that I may read it at my leisure. And this is, Secondly, of course, just the first draft, you know. Yeah. I love, first off, I love your first two lines. Those were brilliant. Brilliant, I tell you. I love the idea of the prophets entering town. I love the voice of this main character. Head? Head. Yes. I love what you're doing and sprinkling in this mystery about his wife. I love how the Afavon just up and dies and his reaction <laughs> to this. I, there's so much here to love. And the, the way it ends, how it gets weirder, how it teases that little bit extra. This is it. I'm sold. If this is the first few pages of a book I'm reading in a fucking bookstore, I'm in. I'm taking this straight on that last line. I'm taking this to the counter. I'm buying this book. That was Hell great. Yeah. Fuck That's what yeah. I like to hear. Good shit. <laughs> Ugh, you're gonna have so many censors after this podcast after this episode I'm, oh no oh. yeah i should have announced this at the start we're not censoring this obviously oh, are we not um there's cursing in this story there's even more cursing in the second thing i'm gonna read toward the end of the oh, okay. episode okay so i'm just saying put it in the disclaimer you know, before the podcast yeah, episode language up. warning yeah. this time around language <laughs> warning i love it rob's back for the first time in three months by the way language warning <laughs> <laughs> I love what the implication there. Ah. Yeah. 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 So this was, I mean, I had like, this was kind of what kept me sane this fall. Like while I was stressing out about losing my job and trying to find something new and, and worrying about money and, you know, 
this was my escape. This was my, like, you know, it my the one thing in my life that I have control over is like how productive I can be yeah. writing a book. And and I, I really enjoyed it. I, I think obviously again first draft. Um, I'm gonna need to make some some revisions. I need to add more to the early stages of the book. Um, but I feel very strongly that this is going to be, you know, my best novel yet. So good. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to read it. Oh, I love yeah. it. So, um, but yeah, now Rob, while I yeah. was writing the prophets of Wolinvar, tell us about what you were doing. <laughs> I don't want to. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I spent 10 weeks in Saint-Jean, Quebec for basic training. Um, it was 70 days of early wake-ups, late bedtimes, a lot of yelling, uh, scrambling around <laughs> PT, parade and weapon drills, uh, first aid training, CBRN training, time out in the field uh, in winter, sleeping on frozen leaves, <laughs> you know, using a gnarled tree roots as as, as as a pillow and my frozen C7 rifle as a blanket doing just battle drills and scenarios until I'm delirious with lack of sleep. Yeah, it was, it was this pretty fucked up. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I learned, uh, I learned a lot. I learned to repel a lot of windows and helicopters. I got tear gassed four times, Oof. uh, before I passed my CBRN test. CBRN stands for chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear. It's, it's a whole, separate class that you take with separate equipment and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I was there getting punished with endless squats an hour before graduation. You know, it was, it was the most insane, funniest, scariest, holy crap. What did I get myself into 10 weeks of my life? It was nuts. It was from September 17th through November 25th in St. Jean Garrison for the, the BMQ course, the basic military qualification course. It doesn't matter what trade you get offered job for in the in the Canadian military. If you're uh, a biomedical electronics engineer, or if you're an aviation systems technician like myself, if you're infantry or combat engineer, or if you're a chaplain, everybody goes through the same BMQ, basic military qualification course. They're, they're really, really big on the fact that you're a soldier first, you're a trade second, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and since the end of November, I've now been stationed at, since I graduated, since I've been stationed at CFB Borden in Ontario. Um, I'm okay. back in Ontario, finally. I'm out of Quebec. I'm out of the French area of, of Canada. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stories about me being trapped in a, a Quebec hospital. The, the sickest I've ever been in my life. You know, that, that's a whole, that's a story for a different day. Um, but currently I'm, uh, I'm in Borden, Ontario at the, uh, at CIFSA at the Canadian Forces School of Aerospace Technology and Engineering. I'm sharing a small room with three other guys. I'm talking like bed desk, bed desk, and on the other side of the room, bed desk, bed desk. It's a very small room and there's four of us in there. My roommates are pretty good uh, for now. I'll be in Borden until the third week of March, after which I'll be posted somewhere else in Canada um, at a different mm-hmm. Air Force base. I'm going to be doing on-the-job training from March until September something of next year. Um, I think I know where I'm headed next, but I can't be certain until I get the actual posting at that point. So it, it, I'm still pretty far off from that. But sure. still, my, my life has been 
more insane than I could ever put to words for these past few months. And I, and I, unfortunately, I, I won't be returning to Inking Out Loud in anything resembling regularity for what looks like another year or two, likely two. But by then, I will hopefully be nearing a promotion and a huge pay raise, and I'll be able to afford my own decent recording space. For now, the food is amazing. Seriously, right now, honestly, Drew, all you can eat buffet three times a day. And it's like... Uh. It's like when you go to a casino and you get buffet there. Like the dessert oh, island yeah. is bigger than my house. Okay. <laughs> the quarters, the living quarters kind of suck. Um, but the job right now is easy. <laughs> now that I'm done basic training, I'm just like waiting for a spot to open at the school. So I'm doing odd jobs on PAT platoon. Uh, PAT stands for personnel awaiting training. Uh, okay. 30 or 40 of us just like line up in the hangar every day at like 715. Um, we line up along, uh, along the snowbirds, like some retired snowbirds for anybody who knows what the snowbirds are. They're like a Canadian air force, uh, jet squadron that does all kinds of yeah. air shows around the world and stuff like that. Um, we have some of the retired snowbirds in the hangar. We just line up along there. There's an F-18 in there too, where all the, stu- all the students work on. Um, and we basically just like sit in the canteen and we watch Top Gun and we play around games on our phones for hours on end and we wait for a sergeant to walk in the room and, and at which point everybody else group and we all like come to attention and the sergeant will walk in and be like hey he wants to go break down some boxes <laughs> you know <laughs> or be like hey he wants to go move some desks for the lt and be like i do sergeant and just like six of you will walk out and go do it like it's, it's basically just like waiting around and trying to find things to do now that i'm done basic training and we're waiting oh, for yeah. spots to open up at the uh actual aerospace engineering school so but, uh, you know, food, like I said, the food's amazing. The quarters suck. Uh, job is easy. It's boring. Boring is way better than what I was doing a month ago. Um, camaraderie yeah. is excellent. You'll never get that anywhere else. And, you know, I've got a job that is just so cool to talk about, or at least it's going to be so cool to talk about. So the force has been really good to me. Nice. I, I definitely questioned a lot of my decisions throughout boot camp, <laughs> but... It was so, so worth doing. It was so worth doing. And like I said, I, I, I vaguely kept track of what was going on with the podcast and the rest of my family and everything that was going on back home through my cell phone. Um, we weren't allowed to have cell phones on us during the day. It would wait until you're back mm-hmm. to bunks, back to your, you know, about to go to sleep, whatnot. You could take your cell phone out of your locked bag and then access it there for some time before bed. But um yeah, I was able to at least keep my thumb on the pulse of inking out loud, for lack of a better term. There, it was it was definitely a, a real life changing experience. So yeah, it was great. <laughs> Highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as far as like my my contribution, I, instead of uh, in the place of stories tonight uh, of written stories, I'm just gonna be telling stories about what happened to me in basic training. You know, um, and just to start us off here, just for the next few minutes, I'm just gonna tell you what a day in St. Jean Garrison for basic training was, was like, all right. So Oh, four it was wake up, start getting dressed because you're 31 years old and your knees hurt and you need more time than everybody else to, you know, more time than the, the other guys in the platoon need because they're all a bunch of idiot 19, 20 year olds. Um, I love those guys. I would die for them. Oh, 500 lights on start yelling everyone else out of their bunks. You know, you get dressed, you grab your rifle, 
check all your locks are closed to make sure your bunk is secured. Everything's lined up and clean. Oh, five, 15 lined up at the lockers, all 60 of us ready for breakfast, standing at attention. Okay. And then you do roll call. You do your, 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 uh, attendance there. Oh, five, 45, oh, 600. It's either morning inspection or PT or your first class, depending on how the staff is feeling and your entire morning <laughs> from 0600 to like maybe like 1100 or 1130, you get punished for beds not being neat enough or being 12 seconds late for roll call or anything else that the staff just really feels like punishing you for mixed in with a bunch of classes where you're learning some really cool stuff. Um, 11.30, lunch, you know, you get a timing. It'll be like, oh, we have 11 minutes to eat breakfast or to eat lunch or, oh, we have six minutes to eat lunch and be lined up outside. You know, lunch is always a very nebulous time of the day. Um, 11.47 or 11.48 or so, you get punished anyway for taking seven minutes to eat your lunch instead of six minutes. Um, noon till 5.30 in the afternoon, 17.30 is classes, admin, PT, if it was scheduled for the afternoon instead of the morning for whatever reason. 1,800 hours, about 600 or 6 o'clock, you get punished for taking too long to shower after PT. Uh, 6.30, back to bunks. You try to do all your homework and you try to clean your rifle and you try to iron your shirts and for tomorrow morning's inspection or you try to fold up all your other shirts this is a nightmare and then 2200 at 10 o'clock at night lights out and you keep folding your underwear and you keep folding your socks because you didn't have enough time before then to do it anyway and at 10 30 you get yelled at by staff for still being awake get the fuck to bed you go to score go to bed sore and you're miserable and you got like five hours before you got to be up again, stiff. And you just basically repeat that for three months. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So that, that's how I spent my last three months, except oh, for man. the couple of weeks that we spent out in Farnham Garrison at the FOB, at the Ford Operating Base, at Camp Ortona, just, you know, being sleep deprived and running battle drills and being artillery simulation grenaded and and having staff attack us and throwing smoke grenades at us and just beating the shit out of us for days on end that was was a lot of fun and i'm really 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 glad that i never have to do anything like that ever again i love those guys i love everybody in there well except for a couple of the master corporals whom i won't name (laughs) but I, uh, for my entire, uh, platoon, I was assigned to Bravo two, one platoon. We started, like I said, September 17th, we graduated November 24th. I think it was, um, my family came out there to watch me graduate. It was awesome. And like I said, as you can probably tell, I've got more stories from those three months than I have for the rest of my life beforehand. Absolutely insane. It was the worst, best time of my life and simultaneously the best, worst time of my life. And I'm glad I did it. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's why I've been gone, and that's where I've been. But it's behind you. It's behind me. They they were very, very clear to tell us many, many times, they being the staff, that if you have a tech job, like what I applied for, for example, I went, I did some extra schooling. I got amazing scores on the uh, application tests before joining. Yeah. Um, if you have a, they said, if you have a tech job, this is going to be the hardest time of your life. If you have a combat trade job, like combat engineer or infantry, um, this is good. You have no idea what you're in for after this. (laughs) And yes, I can confirm that as fact because I'm still in contact. We have a platoon WhatsApp group and we have many other chats besides that. And I've been in contact with my platoon mates since then. And yes, all of us who are in tech trades 
are just living it up right now. Like I said at the, you know, a few <laughs> minutes ago, my job right now that I'm done and I'm waiting for a spot to open at my at the school, my job is just waiting around in a room and playing games on my phone for most of the day until I have to go break down some boxes or move some desks, you know. But yeah. my friends who are in the combat trades <laughs> are getting the absolute shit kicked out of them. They're doing far more PT than we ever did. They're they're just getting destroyed right now. Like, oh, so hats off to them. Utmost respect to them. But my my time doing that stuff is done now. Thank God. So, yeah. While you guys were sitting yeah. down to record Inking Out Loud, that's what Rob was doing. So... <laughs> I'll be telling a couple stories from from basic today, but for now, I say we jump into another reading from Drew. Unless you have something else uh, that you want to do beforehand, Ooh, I, I I could do I could do my second reading. Yeah, do your second um, reading. Yeah, this was uh, so kind of the other big thing that I had going on with thinking out loud over the course of this whole year, uh, not just this fall, but. Uh, you know, we started a Discord server. Uh, I think you can find a, a permanent invite link to that pinned on our Twitter page at IOL Podcast. That was this year. Uh, it's a really great, you know, really great community. We got lots of book discussion, obviously, just general life discussion. Uh, but the big thing is, I started a writing group. Um, I've been doing monthly writing prompts, short story prompts, uh, leading writing sprints. Oh, that's right, the writing and, sprints. Yeah, and. And this story that I'm going to read was actually from before I started this writing group officially, but I wrote this, I think in January of this year, uh, did some revisions on it, uh, over the, the next couple of months after that. But, uh, this, this story was in a lot of ways, the, the springboard that led to me starting this writing group. And, and it has been a huge success, uh, beyond my wildest dreams, uh, multiple people who've been, who've joined the writing group have written novels this year, uh, as I have, uh, it, it's, oh, that's so awesome. You know, we to did hear. a NaNoWriMo. Congrats uh, guys. Kind of, NaNoWriMo uh, happened. Yeah. Um, I, oh, there, there, there's been a, a lot of really fun stories that have come out of it. Uh, if you join the discord, you can jump into that, that writing chat channel and, uh, and the feedback channel where people have been posting, you know, their early drafts of stories. It's a ton of fun, but, but yeah, so that, that brings me to this short story. Sweet. Uh, it is called the molten love of Emerus. <gasps> oh, I read this one. Okay. No. Oh, I'm so excited. This is my favorite piece that I've read that drew has ever written right here. If I, if I'm not mistaken. Whoa. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Go for it. Well, the molten love of Emerus Tolera. a hunt. I wasn't always a hunter. Jasker likes to say I was born with a howler's bloody fucking head in one hand and a crossbow in the other, but it's more apt to say I took to the pacifier with a vengeance. I don't enjoy the job, not for the blood or the thrill. I do like the money, though. Back before I lived this life on the southern border, though, I was just another kid. What can I say? There ain't much glory in being a page boy for your local corrupt steward. But there ain't much danger, either. Take the proper lord's coats at the proper times, serve the proper food to the proper ladies, earn a proper two silver a month. I can't say I liked it, but I sure didn't hate it. Hunting gets my hate plenty, but that's another story. 
This one's about how I fell in love with it. I was 14, you know, a right proper page boy for a right proper steward who really wasn't proper at all. Funny thing is that none of them are proper, so maybe they all are? I don't know. I'm not paid to figure that shit out. Anyway, I was 14 and I knew my path in life. I was going to be a squire, sure enough. I just needed to get the attention of the right eternal knight. There were three in Ennisford, but all three were dicks, so I had to wait for a better one to come through to the steward's trumped-up palace. It was more of a lodge, but who's keeping track other than me? So when Lord Banisfair stopped in Ennisford on his way to the First Metal War, I was on my best behavior. Believe it or not, it used to be pretty fucking good behavior back then. I wanted rather badly to squire. The problem was, both of his sparkling Lordship Jen Banisfair's Eternal Knights were chicks, and I was 14. I didn't know what the hell to do with myself around women like that. When the word came that I was to serve their table, well, don't tell me you're surprised. I fucked up. The good knights had their squires with them, two strapping young lads far better bred than I. They were likely my age or thereabouts, but the celestial bride take me if they didn't outweigh me by two stone. Each. Anyway, my first round of their table went fine. The knights asked for cider and beer, and the same for their boars. No wine, they said. One of the boys, I don't remember his name, don't ask. No, I'm not sorry. One of the boys had a weakness for the grape. I didn't think much of it, and the next time I went around, I forgot I had wine instead of cider. The larger of the two boys waved for me, and I filled his cup full. Fuck me, right? The kid died. I wasn't there when it happened, but Kara told me later that's what it was. Aaron was distraught, screaming for the world to curse her instead. A weakness for the grape apparently meant a blood weakness for the grape. He was allergic. Oh. I got lucky, really. In the chaos, they didn't think to find the serving boy. I was busy divesting myself of the livery anyway, and the following morning I found myself hired on by Lord Banisfair, as his troop needed extra hands. Mind you, I thought this was a hunting party, off to kill a boar or a stag or a rontal for feasting. Not a hunting party, off to kill howlers because they're a fucking blight on the world. The first night out of Ennisford, I ended up at the same fire as Kara. I remember watching her in complete awe, oiling her sword. I was mesmerized by the strength and delicacy of her hands as she drew the cloth over the wide blade in long, measured strokes. Yeah, get your laughs. I know I was young. <laughs> Kara saw me watching, though, and nodded to me. Ever cleaned a blade, boy? I shook my head, mute. Probably for the best. You might want to learn if you're to truly join us. Aaron will need a hand with some things at the very least. I shrugged, wide-eyed. Kara chuckled. Oh, come now. I don't bite. What's your name? Emerus, I said. I had to find spit and swallow afterward on account of the desert, the desert that had moved into my mouth. <laughs> Emerus Tolera. But I'm nobody, really. She snorted. We're all nobody. Even Lord Banisfair. That's why we're out on the road like this. The people who matter are back in Ciri or Tura or even Lorel. I think that was when I fell in love with her. The next night, Kara sat me down and showed me how to hold a spear. It was easiest to learn, she said. The reach was good for the kind of hunting we'd be doing. When I expressed confusion, she told me about the howlers. They're monsters, Emerus. Her eyes sparkled in the flickering firelight, and I drank in every word. Pale things. Vicious as wolves, but much smarter. I don't know where they came from, but some folks say they used to be human. My mouth gobbled air. Kara chuckled. Exactly. Not pleasant. Any way you think about it. Fucking terrifying, to tell the truth. You've seen them before? I've been hunting with Lord Banisfair for near two years now. I've killed three myself. To a young, impressionable boy such as myself, Kara may have just said she was a goddess. I certainly worshipped her for a time afterward. 
We spent four more days on the road, and each day I learned a bit more from Kara or Aaron. Mostly Aaron, to be honest, as she had need of help without a squire at hand. But even then, I always found time to get near Kara. She saw me as a cute little thing, and I was both too young and too scared to ever make her see me different. On the fourth day, just as we reached the first swells in the Red Plains and the Morin Hills darkened the southern horizon, the first refugees found us. Lord Banisfair ordered the whole company off to the side of the road, and a column of ragged, beaten, hollow-eyed people shuffled by. I could hardly bear to look at them. Each time I saw another vacant face with a thousand-mile stare, it ate a new hole in my gut. I didn't want to know what could do that to a person, but I'd find out soon enough. War, Lord Banisfair reported after speaking with two of the people. An invasion from whence they know not. An army thousands strong seems to have appeared from thin air near the mines. He spoke to all of us, but he locked stern eyes with Kara and Aaron in particular. They might make their living as hunters, but they were still eternal knights, sworn to protect the realm of Tura and uphold the honor of the Celestial Bride and yada yada. So we turned off the road and cut due south, aiming across the hills and as straight to Siriford as we could. I thought it made sense. If there were to be a defense against an enemy from the south, it would be at the ford. With refugees fleeing, word would surely be spreading, and forces from across the region should gather there. Great, I thought. I'd get to witness a battle, and I'm not even a fighter. I'll get to sit back, maybe find a rise nearby to watch. Kara will kill a hundred of the enemy and return to me victorious. Yeah, I was a fucking idiot. I told you already. Oh, I hadn't? Well, there you go. And you want to hire me? Anyway, we cut across the Morin Hills. The red grass gave way in patches to rocky outcrops and scraggly bunches of trees. Not sure what they're called. The ones with the blue leaves, yeah? That feel like they're covered in oil. The weirdest bit was when we found the fence. The thing was gleaming steel, dripping condensation in the early morning. This was way out in the country, deep in the hills. We couldn't think of who'd want to lay claim to property here, so we broke the fence and kept on. No surprise, that was a bad idea. That night I got to meet my first howler. The fires were burning low. The first watch had just taken their posts. As a lowly servant boy, I wasn't trusted with that sort of thing, so I was already cozy in my bedroll. Well, as cozy as you can get in a bedroll on rocky soil. I remember Kara and Aaron chatting softly off to my left, their voices carrying only as indecipherable murmurs. Their conversation was sliced cleanly by the most horrible shriek I'll ever hear. High and warbling and eerie resonated through the night. My shoulders seized up at the sound, muscles cramping in terror. I'd never heard it before, but I knew in my soul what it was. The camp froze as another howl followed, and another, and another. They called to each other, coming from the south. I had just freed myself from my nightly accommodations and grabbed the extra spear Kara had given me when the first one came into view. That was enough to get everyone scrambling. The two knights drew steel, back straight, shoulder square. Nonetheless, I heard Aaron mutter, Fuck, and let me tell you, I have never heard a curse uttered with more fervor than that. The howler came down the slope with horrifying grace. Long, pale limbs cleaved through the air. Its naked, emaciated body bore some vague resemblance to a human, but it seemed to have too many bones protruding under its skin. As it neared, it howled again. You never want to see that, my friend. Trust me. Its jaws distended, lengthening as if they were made of liquid, opening a black maw that stretched and stretched and the noise cut through me and ripped my mind into a thousand shivering shards of glass. What? I, uh, yeah, thanks. No, no, just, just give me a minute here. Grab me something stronger, will you? Whiskey, sure. Sorry, sorry. Hasn't gotten to me like that in years. 
Don't know what that shit was. But the thing, the howler. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. The howler came screaming in and I stood there frozen, spear forgotten in my hand, and Aaron met it with a yell of her own and her sword flashed and one of its arms fell to the ground in a spray of the most vivid crimson you'll ever see. It spun and swung at her with the other arm and Kara was there. She was even faster than Aaron and her blade sunk into its neck and got caught in one of those weird extra bones. The howler collapsed with a final shriek, bleeding red on the red grass. Three more crested the rise above us. I don't fully remember the rest of it. I didn't fight, I know that much. Mostly I just stood there, spear in a death grip, staring at the first dead howler. When it was finished, most everyone was dead. Lord Banisphere was strewn across the campsite in four or five distinct pieces, his personal guards fallen in states of carnage. Kara stood over Aaron's dead body, Aaron's sword in her hands, glaring down at the dead howler still wrapped in a lethal embrace with her. That was when I fell out of love with her. The first time. Sure, she struck the heroic pose standing over the bloodied body of her defeated foe. She was the triumphant stalwart, the true eternal knight. But let me tell you, it's hard to be in love with someone covered in bruises and blood with the reek of death rising around you and raw terror coursing through your body. I stuck with her afterward. What the fuck else was I supposed to do? But I was never going to love her the same way. We went on south to Searyford, just the two of us, but we missed the battle. Things got rocky after that, as I'm sure you know. The war really fucked with things, especially after the Mayuri decided to get involved. Yeah, we stayed in the south. No reason to head back up and get ourselves killed, right? So Kara and I did some freelancing. You know, mercenary work. And then we found ourselves back where we started. I fell in love with her a couple more times. At one point, she even stopped seeing me as a kid. That was a fucking ride, trust me. This is why we split up, truth be told. Phrasing. Well, that and the howlers. Hunting them for coin is just not the sort of thing a sane person does. You hear me? Fine, fine. Yeah, the way to kill them. Well, they're not human, right? They're alien. They're fast and they're insatiable. You have to be fast and you have to be willing to give ground because they don't stop. They come at you. They scream and scream and scream. They howl. They tear and rip and chew and... Fuck. 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 No. I'm okay. I'm okay. 40 gold moons, you say? That's a lot of money. Now, give me another whiskey. 40 gold moons? And a chance for more howler blood? Fuck it. Count me in. And that right there is why I love that story so much. (laughs) How much more I want to know about this world in the howlers. This is almost like it's been maniacally and sadistically perfectly designed to, 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 to make Rob Santos want more. That has everything that I want more of in terms of world building. I want more of these howlers. I want more of what spawned them, what created them, why they are, what they do, everything about that. Well, eventually, uh, I have a four-book epic fantasy planned in this world, uh, and the howlers are definitely a part of it. Uh, A lot of the kind of the background stuff, like the war and everything that he mentions, uh, that's all in in that series. So, good. Yeah, I'll get to that. Maybe sooner than than I expected. That was one. It was an idea I came up with back in college. And I started outlining and writing it. And I realized I was like, I'm nowhere near good enough to write this. You know, I don't have the skill. And uh, and so I just sort of put it on the back burner with a a vague, you know, I'll level up and someday I'll get there. 
Mm, I'll level and, up and someday uh, I'll get there. I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, and I had another story idea from around that same time that I had a, a similar reaction to where I was like, I don't have the chops to pull this off. Uh, and I actually pulled that other story out of the trunk and I began working on it for NaNoWriMo this year. And, and I very much feel I do have the chops for that one. So I think if that one goes well, I have another book that I want to write in between and then and then I may uh, may jump into this series. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I, I was so excited writing this story, like refreshing my uh, my idea for this world. And like it was a ton of fun remembering, you know, all the world building I did a decade plus ago. No. Tell me about this particular draft, because I swear I heard one or two brand new lines in this draft that weren't there when I read it. You definitely did. Okay. Uh, this this is an updated draft. Okay. I definitely noticed at least one that I was like, oh, that wasn't in the end of the draft last time I read it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I really want to find a place, find a home for this. Um. It's it's a really tough short story market right now, especially uh, Amazon is doing some things that are not conducive to the way sci-fi fantasy short story publications work, mm-hmm. and and so there's a lot of you know just turbulence going on. It's also you know a lot of people are writing short stories and trying to get published. Uh, but I I have hopes for this one. I'm I'm gonna keep trying to find a place you know, place to publish it. Um, there, there may be something down the line with this one. That's going to be, uh, but I'm not ready to announce anything with that. So, mm. uh, so yeah, but, but you know, this story and profits of Wolvar in a lot of ways, I feel are kind of the bookend of my writing year, 2022. Uh, and, Thought it'd be fun to do some readings for 200 episodes. Nice. Nice. I wish I had some readings to do, honestly. I wish I had had time to do some writing. And honestly, I'm kind of thankful in a weird way that I didn't because now I really have the bug. Now I really want to write. (laughs) Um, Before it was always like, um, oh, you should be getting around to this. You've been sitting around for long enough. Why haven't you got around to this? Now in my life, whenever I consider my writing, it's, oh, you really, really finally, <laughs> finally have time to sit down and get something knocked out. So like that, that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, I was hoping to have something ready for today writing, but that would have given me just days to have it done and proofread and ready for it. Uh, but going yeah. forward, my writing time is going to be limited, but I think for it, it's going to be a lot more valuable. It's going to be a lot more efficient. Um, I'm actually excited to get back into writing myself too. So that's, that's a lot of fun. And Hey, Hell yeah. I have a lot more experience on how to write military, you know? So that's a lot of fun too. And I'll be able to it do that for a sure. little more effectively. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, to contribute in any way that I can at the moment, I guess I'll just explain, <laughs> I'll just relate some of my most memorable moments in basic training and some of the funniest things to happen to us in basic training. Um, yeah, so let's go to day two right now, September 18th, my second day in basic training. <laughs> um, 
of course, I'm still very, very new to the building. It's this giant building. It's called the Mega. There are thousands of people that live there. It's a, it, Honestly, you have to be there in scale to appreciate how enormous this building is. Um, and it's our second day, so we're up on the uh, fourth floor, but it's 10 flights of stairs. And it's about, say, 9 o'clock at night. When, out of nowhere, we're sitting in the laundry room as a platoon. Uh, a few of us are in the laundry room trying to do our homework. When we start hearing... Eh, eh, all platoons form up green sector parking lot. Go, go. It's like, it, it's the fire alarm. There's a fire alarm that's been pulled. We're, we're just looking at each other. Like what? Like we're brand new. We're still civvy at this point. We're like, what's going on. And so we, we, we go down all the stairs. We, we form up where it tells us we go out into the parking lot where we think we're supposed to go. We see everybody else forming up in one of the three giant parking lots around the mega there. And uh, there's hundreds of people forming up in this parking lot. We're not the only platoon training, of course. There are many other platoons training who are all in their combats, and they're all far more formed up and far more disciplined than we are. And we're just forming up there alongside them. This is our second night here, so we're terrified. And we're in. it starts to rain. It's really dark outside. It's, it's completely <laughs> black. It's just this cold-ass rain coming down in this Quebec town up there. And um, the fire department shows up, the police show up, and they go upstairs, and, and they're, they're doing the whole search as, as to who pulled the fire alarm, why the fire alarm was pulled, and whatnot. We're standing out there in this cold-ass rain. Half the people have, say, just their boots and their t-shirts on. The other half have their uh, PT shorts on, and they have, like, a coat on. Everyone's just, like, dressed. They're in various states of dress, and the rain is coming down, and everyone's getting frustrated Everyone's the, the, the blood starting to boil because nobody knows why we're outside in the in the rain, just freezing and shivering and shaking our asses of off. Yeah, and um, several feet in front of me, I'd say about 20, 25 meters in front of me, and slightly to my right, I see uh, shit starts to go down. Um, there's a, th- this one platoon keeps talking and they're not supposed to talk when you're in ranks when you're in ranks you're at attention your heels are together your toes are 30 degrees apart your wrists and your your arms are straight down at your sides against your body and you're not moving at all and this one platoon in front of us kept talking kept joking around kept just you know goofing off and whatnot and they're what i didn't know at the time was their core senior ended up strolling up to the guy who was talking for the fifth time and screaming in his face saying you're supposed to shut the fuck up right now and not move. I didn't know that. I was just civvy at that time. I didn't know how the rank structure worked. I thought that was an actual staff, like a master corporal or a sergeant or, God forbid, a warrant or a PO walking up and screaming in this in this member's face to shut the F up. And all I saw in the dark rain was a, a fist swung. And it led to a big old brawl. In the rain, in the dark rain. Keep in mind, again, this is going to be like the fifth time I've said this. This is day two in basic training. <laughs> and we're lined yeah. up in the parking lot in the freezing rain in the dark. And I'm watching a brawl break out between what I think is a, is a, a, a recruit and an officer. I'm going, oh, my God. And, of course, a warrant actually breaks in. He breaks the fight up, starts screaming at both of them, explaining exactly how much they've let down the, the armed forces, exactly how this is a huge mistake. And their punishment for that was for the rest of the time it took the fire department to clear the building and say, no, there has been no fire. No, this is a false alarm. We're talking at least another hour, hour and a half. They had Mm -hmm. to sit there in the parking lot, first off, holding 
the front leaning rest position, which is just a push up position with your arms down, right? Just holding push up position in the freezing rain. And after their arms started to give up and after they were like crying and needed to like stop, just laying down in a freezing puddle and pretending to be dead. And that was what they had to do as their punishment for fighting in line. And I was just this civilian sitting there on day two with my platoon still in civvy outfit going, what the fuck is actually happening right now? This is the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. What is this next 69 days going to be like? Oh my God, what have I done? So that's what happened on day two. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a welcome. Yeah. Now, allow me to relate the tale of Private Sockenstein. All right. Oh boy. So again, still in week one, we're still as a platoon, all 60 of us or so. Yeah. It was about 60 at that point are still in civvy outfits and we don't have our uniform yet. We're still getting used to the whole regimented military lifestyle. Um, the staff was still trying to impress upon us at this time, the importance of unsecured kit and leaving your quarters all exactly the same and leaving everything secured. So you have four combination locks and two padlocks that are issued to you, and you have to lock up your closet with all your clothes and all your uniform. You have to lock up your personal locker. You have two giant drawers underneath your bed that pull out, and you have to lock those up, and you have a duffel bag in the corner. It's called your COVID bag. This is just in case, of course, you end up testing positive for COVID, and they have to isolate you, and they have to bring you some civilian clothes. It's a duffel bag in the corner. It also has to be locked up. And we were struggling to learn that for the first few days. A lot of people kept pushing the boundaries, like what's allowed to be left out? Um, What's not allowed to be left out? And I remember this was day three. So this would have been literally the next day after the fire alarm incident. Um, It was at the end of our training day. So it was like, you know, 5.30, 6, 7 in the afternoon. We had been beaten up and had classes and beaten up more for (laughs) uh, like 18 hours of PT and struggling and the whole, all kinds of fun stuff. And the Sergeant and, and the master corporals walk in the room with this smile on their face. And it was this smile that eventually over basic training, you learn to fear when your instructors walk into the room with this particular shit eating grin on their face, you know, y'all done fucked up today. Right. And they walked in with three, garbage bags just full and they dumped out the garbage bags they made us clear room in the middle of the class because we'd all you know get into a classroom at the end of the day getting ready for orders and timings for the next day and they made us first clear the desks out of the middle of the room make some space and they dumped out these three garbage bags full garbage bags they had like phone chargers in them books in them clothes in them and what it was was an amalgamation of everything they had managed to collect out of unsecured kit. So of course, every day, every single day throughout those 10 weeks, they would go, you know, and they would test all the locks. They would yank all the locks. They would sometimes kick the locks to make sure they're entirely closed, check your bunk and everything like that. They managed to get on day three, since we're still so new, they got three garbage bags worth of stuff out of us. 
and they dump this giant pile of belongings in the middle of the room. And the sergeant walks in the middle. He starts kicking all of it. He just kicks all of it into all corners of the room. And we're hearing about how we've screwed up and how we're not taking this seriously. And what happened was one particular recruit had left, of course, he left his closet unlocked. They would, they would screw with all your stuff. They would put it all in a pile and they would be like, you better have all your kit labeled because if you don't have your kit labeled, good luck figuring out what belongs to whom, right? But this one private, who I will not name right now, had all of his socks confiscated. We have these big, giant, gray, double-thick woolen socks that are issued to us as part of our uh, combat boots because they yeah. go on with the boots. And all of his socks, all 10 socks were confiscated and stuffed into this long plastic, clear plastic bag. I don't know where they would have got this clear plastic bag, but the staff had taken this bat plastic bag, took all of his socks. They stuffed it full of gray sock, which is full of gray wool. They posted their pasted googly eyes on it and they gave it yarn hair and they printed off a little name tag that said private sock and steen. And they gave it a little Canada flag patch on the side of it too. <laughs> and our PO walks in, who's, Basically the highest ranked guy that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Everyone loved the PO. Mm -hmm. But he walked in that day and he was just yelling at us saying, This is Private Sockenstein. Private Sockenstein is the newest member of Bravo 2-1. That's our platoon, right? Private Sockenstein will attend all of Bravo 2-1's classes. He will be with Bravo 2-1 at all times. And if at any point we ask to see Private Sockenstein and Bravo 21 does not have Bra Private Sockenstein present, there will be a price to pay because Bravo 21 does not leave a man behind. Is that right? And we all deal, yes, PO. And so we had a new, we had a new, uh, a new platoon member in the form of this little sock puppet. And we had to bring Sockenstein with us everywhere we went. And I think it was about sometime in week four before we finally lost Private Sockenstein. What happened there was we had a PT class. Oh, no. Yeah, we had a PT class and Private Sockenstein came with us to PT. He stays in the lockers. You don't actually take him to the gym, right? Um, it was sometime after lunch that day when we realized and we asked, actually, it was the guy who lost all of his socks. It was him specifically that we asked. <laughs> Where's, where's oh, Sockenstein? No. And he goes, oh, shit. I've, oh, I left Sockenstein in the PT lockers. I was like, no, you fucking didn't. And so we sent several platoon mates to go down to the lockers to that exact same locker room in St. Jean there at the garrison. And of course, Sockenstein's no longer in the locker. There have been other platoons that have come through the locker room in the meantime, and they've had their own PT. And now Sockenstein is gone. So we had a dilemma on our hands. We've lost so uh, Private Sockenstein. Man's been left behind, and it was only week four. We don't want our staff to find out, but we have to break it to our staff somehow. So we ended up doing a couple different things. Number one, half of us wanted to just come clean with the staff, and so we filled out a VR form. A VR form is called it's, – it's a voluntary release form where if basic training is getting too much for you, if, you're, if you can't yeah. handle basic training, you fill out a VR form, you go through several <laughs> layers of interviews with different levels of staff, and you end up releasing from the CAF. So we filled out a VR form for Private Sockenstein, right? saying that he loved all the people who made him and they were a bunch of fun <laughs> and it was great time, but he just couldn't handle it. The staff did not like that. <laughs> we really miscalculated with making that VR form. They did not like that. They did not like that. Um, the other half of us, 
those who were smokers or taking or in the act of taking up smoking, I swear half of this platoon took up smoking while we were there. They were outside in the smoke pit on break times. You know, the few minutes per day you get to smoke, you you mingle with other platoons. And they're, they have smokers out there too. And we heard through mm. the grapevine that another platoon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out them right now, was Alpha 1-8, at least at the time. I think it was Alpha 1-8 that had Private Sockenstein. And so they were d- demanding a ransom for Sockenstein. And of we course. were like, nah, hell that. Hell no. We're going to arrange a, re- a rescue mission. We're going to rescue Private Sockenstein. <laughs> but before it got to that level, before it got to that level of, of, of interaction, um, in week three, and I was particularly a victim to this, um, a nasty sort of virus started going around. It was a gastroenteritis uh, bug. And yeah. I got very sick on, on Thanksgiving, on Canadian Thanksgiving day of this year. I was actually, again, as I alluded to earlier, I was stuck in a French hospital, vomiting out my guts and, and sitting in my own shitty combats and just abandoning a chair for hours on end in a hospital where they didn't, I didn't speak the language and it's a whole story, whatnot, but half the platoon got sick with this gastro bug. And it was, it was, it was really a big impact on our, on our training and so sometime uh-huh. around week four, week five, the staff decided, you know what, this little sock puppet that everyone's handing around back and forth, you know, maybe not the best thing for hygiene. So we ended oh. up, they, they ended up uh, removing Sockenstein from the calf and canceling his contract. So Sockenstein is no longer a thing. But um, yeah, that, that was another thing that happened during basic, you know, that was week three. So that would have been first or second week of October going into the third week of October this was happening um let's see here i love it um oh hey okay let's talk about the mustache funeral i'll I'll tell that story so we are you're not allowed to have um for the for the longest time of course you have to have your head shaved your face shaved very strict regulations for for basic training but this year starting in august of this year new regulations came out um they're a lot more open and accepting of alternate lifestyles you can have any kind of colored hair that you would like you can have tattoos anywhere you'd like piercings anywhere you would like um that 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 took place this year in august right and i i started in september so i was able to join with a bit of facial hair i could grow my facial hair but you're not allowed to do that as we found out for cbrn training in week seven that's again that's chemical biological Uh, radiological nuclear because what happens is part of that training you have a gas mask a c4 gas mask and you need to be able to form a perfect seal on your face with that gas mask and if you have a beard or any kind of facial hair it's not very conducive to being able to get a perfect seal on your gas mask so for week seven only we were told can't have mustaches can't have facial hair can't have anything but we decided to argue that a little bit as a platoon we asked a couple of the master corporals saying look if we have mustaches and say just mustaches, surely that's not going to interfere with our gas mask seal at all. Right. <laughs> and they were like, maybe sure, sure, sure. And uh, we asked, can we grow mustaches just for week seven? Like we can start beforehand, but can we during week seven and during week eight, when we're out in the field in Farnham have mustaches, all the men in the platoon, we're going to, this is part of a big thing we were going to be doing for camaraderie. We're going to have Farnham mustaches. That Farnham, of course, being the the town out in the middle of Quebec nowhere where we the, the Canadian military does its yeah. out in the field training. Yeah. And the one master corporal said, you know what? I'll take this up the chain of command for you. I'll find out for you guys. And he did that. And he came back one day after, after class and we were all at the end of the day getting ready for dismissal. And he said, I've just got word. You guys are allowed to have mustaches for Farnham. 
And we all just went, yes, hell yes, we could have mustaches. So we started growing these mustaches. And it was about two days before we had to leave for Farnham when word came down that the instructors, the CBRN instructors at Farnham thought differently, felt differently. They said, no, you cannot have mustaches. So we were all, of course, devastated. This was the worst news we'd heard in weeks, right? And so we all, with our, with those few of us who brought electric trimmers, I was one of the ones that brought an electric trimmer, we all very reluctantly shaved our mustaches off into a little plastic box. All of our mustaches went into the same little plastic box. All this random beard hair and, and, and mustache hair went in there. And then we had the mustaches through all of Sierra and Tango sector, four-hour platoon and Bravo 2-1. They did a whole line, a funerary line, where we all stood at attention. And we had a funeral for the mustaches that were supposed to come with us to Farnham. That never did. Nice. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Basic training was that. Was that for 10 weeks. It was just that. We had a lot of recruits uh, lose their rifles by accident. That's a big deal. You're never, ever, ever supposed to leave your rifle more than arm's arm's length away. If you do, that's a big deal. You could actually be, honestly, you can be criminally charged for that. Um, it's, 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 it's an SI, it's a serious incident. If you, it's, it's a weapons failure. If you leave your rifle out of arm's reach. Now, what you can do is you can leave your rifle with somebody and say, Hey, I have to go to the bathroom. I can't take this with me. Can you watch my rifle while I'm in the bathroom? Be, yeah, of course, you know, Bravo two, one we'll, brothers, we'll do this brothers or sisters. Yeah. We'll do this. Um, <laughs> but as we got out to the field for weeks eight and nine, they took that away. And they said, you're no longer allowed to leave your rifle with anybody. Your rifle comes with you everywhere you go. And we mean everywhere, including to the porta potty. I know that for a fact because one private lost uh, a fully loaded mag. <laughs> he dropped a fully loaded mag full of blank rounds, full of pyrotechnics into the porta potty, like down into <sighs> the porta potty. And that had to oh, be yes. retrieved and cleaned. And that was a whole other thing in the Quebec wilderness in November. Just try to imagine oh. that for a second. But um, no, at you. one point, yeah, it was the end of our first day in Farnham. The end of the first day. We had done, we had 70 pounds of kit on us with our rucksacks. We had 12 pounds or 15 pound tack vests full of mags, full of first aid kit, full of uh, glasses, like shot glasses, uh, ballistic glasses and everything. We had our Kevlar helmets on, our combat boots on, all of our combat uniform. And we're holding an eight pound loaded C7 rifle. And... uh it was about 10 o'clock. We did 22 kilometers of rucking on that first day in Farnham with all of that on. I can't even explain to you what that feels like. Okay. But we thought we were getting bedtime because normally you get dismissed at like six 30 or seven when you're at school. And then 10 o'clock is bedtime. 10 o'clock does not mean bedtime when you're in Farnham. 10 o'clock means what did you fuck up today? And let's punish you for all of that. So dark, dark outside. They take us out behind the little, you know, a little building full of snow there in Farnham. And they say, okay, we're going to learn what a leopard crawl is now. Bravo to one. And we get down on our bellies. We, we line up all of our rucksacks in a line as we're used to doing. We put our rifles on our rucksacks as we're used to doing. Apparently the memo that we're not allowed to leave our rifles with fire team partners anymore. Only half of us somehow 
heard that that day because we all oh. left our rifles and half of us started doing the exercise. It was a master corporal who said, we're going to leopard crawl. That's where you get down on your belly and you go knee to elbow, knee to elbow, crawl across an entire field. All right. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Maybe when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, it's a little easier and it's fun when you're 31 years old and you're slightly fat and you hate this. It fucking sucks. You get like halfway across the field and you're like, <gasps> and then your whole platoon is like, Santos, keep going. Santos, you got this. And just, <laughs> keep going until you get to the end. And then you have to turn around and do the whole thing back again. It's the worst time of your life. And I finally got after stopping three or four times to the end. And then I, we were all told to stand up. We're covered in snow and ice and mud and we're out of breath. And two or three of us have already thrown up and it's like, what have I gotten myself into still on week eight or week nine? We stood up and the one master corporal decided to break to us just how badly we had fucked up and that we weren't supposed to leave our rifles. What we did was half of us have had gone forward. Our rucksacks and our rifles are all in two ranks and the front rank went and did this punishment that we had earned or not earned depending on how you look at it we earned all of them and we got back and half of the rifles are gone oh what's going on and the master corporal who was in charge of this went in front of all of us and explained to us what had happened he said you know bravo to one you are not supposed to leave your rifles unattended not in the field this is a slight this is a very different scenario and he said what's gonna happen now is that All of you are going to get face down again. You're going to crawl across this entire field again, come back again. And when you make it back, I will give you back one rifle. Oh, so we were out there (laughs) probably past midnight, maybe till 1am crawling on our faces in the muddy snow earning back all of the rifles that we had accidentally given up and he had gone through and just picked up half of our rifles while we were doing this the first time. So that was what I was doing in St. Jean Garrison in Farnham in Quebec while you guys were sitting down to record inking out loud. We have all, I mean, like I said, I've got more stories from those three months than I have from the 30 years previously, you know, yeah. The stand twos, yeah. the smoke grenades, literally deliriously waking up in my little hooch in f- covered in frozen leaves in my full uniform, ho- literally hallucinating the sounds of artim- like artillery simulation grenades. Like, like yeah. after days without sleep, you start hearing in your mind, you start hearing. And you like wake up, go, oh, what is that? Oh. And then my, my fire team partner will be like, What are you doing? I'm like, Stand to, we gotta stand to. He's like, No, I'm awake. I've been awake the whole time. You're hearing things. Go back to sleep, man. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> They pull my frozen rifle over me again. It was, yeah, a lot of fun. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Would do again. So, so Rob, I'm, yeah. I'm curious now that you've gotten a, a taste of military life. Yeah. Do you have a newfound appreciation for the black company? I was thinking about that the entire time. <laughs> yeah. The entire time I thought my military writing is going to get, at least my military writing is going to get so much better after this. Glenn Cook, uh, Glenn Cook, Glenn Cook in the black company is going to be a completely different read for me now. Yeah. It really very yeah. much is. I will have a different read of that. Like, Oh my God. 
the camaraderie is something I already kind of understood. I mean, I, I worked a very tough job before this as a welder with like the same 12, 15 guys day in, day out, 12 to 14 hour days and all of the elements, hating your life and hating your job and being in a lot of physical pain. That part, fully aware of. But I get like the, the rank structure and the interplay between ranks and the overall focus is something that I've learned differently. It's something that's brand new to me. Like if you really want to screw with me, you just wait until somebody walks in the room where I am and you just yell group. And I'll go, I will literally come to attention. It's just a reflex. I am terrified of French Canadian accents now because all of, (laughs) all of the instructors were French Canadian. And if you get that accent in in the room with me, I am scared. I'm like, yes, sir. (laughs) No, sir. You know, it's yeah. It definitely uh, it has changed me and there, that will manifest in my reading in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So nice. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think we're getting to the point where we're going to wind down the episode here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just want a brief overview, you know, your reading, my reading of 2022. Yeah. Um, obviously you didn't do as much. Yeah, but I wish. Uh, but uh, but I'm curious. So I, I want to hear you know overall impressions, favorite books, least favorite books. All right, you know. So the Lost Metal obviously for me takes the cake because that was like one of only a few books I managed to read this year. Obviously, there was the entire Inking Out Loud catalog reading uh, leading up to my leaving for basic training. Um, as far as that entire period goes, besides the Lost Metal being the obvious number one, um, I would say. Uh, Sons of the Oak. That was a big Ooh. deal for me earlier this year. Yeah. Uh, big mention to Dave Farland there in Sons of the Oak. Like the Rune Lords as the first big series, I suppose, that we dove into for Inking Out Loud because um, mm-hmm. Elantra still, as of this day, is not a series to stand alone. Um, you know, the Rune Lords will hold a special place for us always here on Inking Out Loud. Um, for sure. But Sons of the Oak was an episode I remember recording very clearly. I remember that book hitting all of the notes that I wanted to for me to hit. It expanded the world in a huge way in a particular direction that I had wanted the world to expand since the first four books and the entire interim that we spent waiting. Um, it had so many amazing, epic rise to glory moments. And yeah, the Sons of the Oak really breathed fresh life, I think, into this entire podcast for me because it was like, it reminded me that I could be this excited about books that I haven't read that are currently out and just waiting for my eyes. So definitely Sons of the Oak. And of course, like I said earlier, uh, The Lost Metal. I'm going to pull up, um, while you continue, I'm going to pull up our spreadsheet here and see what else we read in the first half of 2022. Um, yeah. But yeah, what about you for, for now? Like uh, your notable books for 2022. Yeah, so it's interesting. 2022 was sadly like overall the most disappointing reading year i've had in a long time uh there wasn't really anything new that i read this year that totally blew me away like 2021 was a desolation called peace and uh divine cities you know 2020 was like i read rhythm of war and i read the library at mount char you know 
there, I feel like every year, typically, I stumble across one or two books that just really open my eyes. And this year, I didn't have that. Um, probably the highlight read of this year was Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Um, but and there are things in that book that I really, really loved. But there were also some elements of the book that I didn't like. Uh, like, I can't say that was a, you know, knock it out of the park 10 out of 10 book like I would with A Memory Called Empire or City of Blades or, you know, The Library of Mount Char. Uh, and on top of that, I feel like I read a lot of books this year that I just didn't enjoy much. Uh, the Lycanius books, I mean, if you've listened to our episodes of those, you know I did not enjoy them. Uh I tried to, I really, really tried to, but they, they nearly broke me. Like yeah. if there was ever a point where inking out loud was going to fall apart, it was when I was trying to keep myself going reading Lycanius and I had to make the decision for the longevity of the podcast where I was like, I'm not like, we're, we're cutting it short after the second book. We're going to go right on into like whatever Mistborn era two. I can't remember if we did something in between or not. But I was like, if I have to do another like Aeneas book, Inking Out Loud is going to end. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and there, there were some other books in there that I just like, like I was a little disappointed in Lowtown. Um, I was going to bring up Lowtown myself as that equivalent. Yeah, like there, yeah. That was such a frustrating reading experience for me where elements of those books were so good. Uh-huh. Like Daniel Polanski is a talented writer. Polanski's amazing, but, but like the direction he took that story, oh, and yeah, series yelling at me. <laughs> uh, the direction he took that story just didn't land. Yep. for me. Yep, that was big part um, of it for me. There, I kept like with Lowtown. I was like, this is an amazing writer for whatever reason deciding to write crap. And the book, uh, and hold on, the series itself isn't crap. But it's a very subjective thing to say, but I wanted so much more because of what I had read of Polanski yeah. previously out of his short he just stories. Leaned so far into the nihilistic yeah. worldview that like it, the ultimate conclusion of that trilogy felt hollow like, for me. If you had gone overseas or if you had done something that took you away from the podcast and I had to carry the torch for a while and I was forced to go through the Lowtown trilogy, that would have been the same thing for me as it was like yeah, for yeah. you. It would have been like, well, okay, can I really continue this going? Like, just, oh, Lowtown was a great author writing something that I did not find intriguing at all. And I was like, ah. yeah. Like, I will at least say the first book of Lowtown, I liked uh, and the short story, A Drink Before We Die. A Drink Before really We Die was, again, because it's so short, it was just like the Polanski yeah. style on exhibition. And that was mm-hmm. wonderful. Just like his style in The Builders. It was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then, like, and, and so one of the kind of the hallmarks of this year that I felt maybe was a little frustrating was that the, the books I enjoyed reading the most tended to be rereads for me. Like reading through Shadow of the Torturer in that really slow, granular, in-depth analysis, inking out loud way, I loved. But also, it's the fourth time I've read that book. Like, yeah. And and so the but like the highlight of the year probably is Piranesi. The level below that, um, 
I finished reading Garrett P.I. by Glenn Cook. Oh, and I a remember you saying of those that. Books, yeah. Um, the final book in particular, I, I liked quite a lot. Um, it, it, that series in general isn't, you know, like the deepest. It's not the most uh, demanding or engaging, profound series. But he has his moments. And two of those moments uh, are, are um, Old Tin Sorrows, which I read a couple of years ago now. And Wicked Bronze Ambition, which is the the most recent, possibly final. Mm, I've read uh, Old Tin Sorrows, I believe. Yeah. Uh, no, you didn't read Old Tin Sorrows. Did we you? did one thing for did the you get podcast. To book four. What was it? Oh, that was book four. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. You read Sweet Silver Blues. Yes, I read Sweet Silver Blues. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old Tin Sorrows is like, uh, it, it gets really into like the the difficulties of war veterans rejoining society mm-hmm. and dealing with PTSD and things like that, it got heavy, but in a, in a really, you know, well handled profound way uh, that I think might be, if not the best, maybe like the second or third best book cook has ever written. Uh, like that one really blew me away. And then wicked bronze ambition was, was profound in a different way. And, and so I appreciated that a lot this year, mm. but, but yeah, least favorite definitely was the second Lycanius book. Um, uh, what it what was that? So that's, there's the shadow. Of what was lost an echo of things to come. Yeah. I did not like an echo of things to come. Mm. <laughs> um, as far as notable reads for this year, you jog something loose for me there. Um, shadow of the torture. How could I forget about that? Oh my god, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been as much of a mind blow as it was if I wasn't reading it with Drew McCaffrey, who was there to point out appropriately all the little things that I should have paid attention to at the end of each episode that we recorded. And I was like, oh my god, like that is something I, I believe, uh, I almost said Glenn Cook, wow, Gene Wolfe is a, a writer that really you should have a chaperone on, because for that, having you with me, Shadow of the Torturer does stand out as one of the top three experiences of, of, of entertainment or reading that I had this year. So definite shout out to that. And I cannot believe I forgot about that. Basic must have traumatized me a lot more than I thought. Wow. Um, <laughs> another one that, that, that came to mind while you were talking was Locklands. I totally forgot yeah. that we had done Locklands this mm-hmm. year. Um, that was awesome. Obviously, of course, uh, Shorefall and Foundryside were, were big books that I loved, that I enjoyed and that I glowed about particularly shortfall here on this podcast and thinking out loud Locklands lived up to a lot of the hype. It was amazing. The amount of spectacle, uh, I was a little like, what the heck going on with this conclusion? But you know, having Isaac on alone for that Locklands episode, that was amazing. And finishing off a a series that I had hyped up that much. It was yeah. Locklands dope. Also on that list. I totally forgot to mention. And I kind of want to give a small shout out, even though it wasn't technically this year, it was literally during the last days of last year, the Dresden files. Those were some of (laughs) our, um, perhaps most contentious episodes. Uh, if you, if you follow us on social media or if you're in our discord group and and we like to argue (laughs) and, and talk with our, uh, our episodes about those who are listening to us, uh, Dresden was a lot of fun. And for me, it was some of my favorite reading ever on this podcast. Uh, some of my biggest, Oh my God moments. I can't wait to talk about this in the podcast moments. A lot of those came out of Dresden files. So I have to give a, a, a big shout out to Jim butcher there too. So yes, 
that about wraps up my notable books of the last year, maybe year and change since I've been gone for a little while. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, before we completely wrap this episode, it would not be an episode of Inking Out Loud without a final draft. Ooh. <laughs> well, I will be glad to start us off there on that front. Um, I went three months Please. without drinking anything, without a drop, without smoking anything as well, even though there are uh, designated areas on Garrison where you may do both of those things. I decided to be responsible and not drink or smoke anything for the entirety of BMQ. Um, that was a good choice. I was able to, you know, <laughs> not miss any timings. I was able to keep my head together, um, you know, not too paranoid or anxious or sick or anything like that through all of basic. But oh yeah, once I went to Borden, however, once I was once I graduated, and they <laughs> sent us to Borden, us Air Force guys, and we have our own rooms. Oh, I shouldn't say our own rooms now. I'm in a a room with four other guys. Oh, sorry, three other guys. It's literally small room, uh, bed desk. Bed desk, bed desk, bed desk. It's just a one single room with four of us in there. It's actually completely crap for privacy, but um, <laughs> we're allowed to have food in there. We're allowed to have alcohol in there. So I've started drinking again, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, drinking, admittedly, more than my mother would like, less than I would want. <laughs> uh, but for this episode here, of course, I didn't have to hold anything back. My tolerance is significantly lower than it used to be. If it's not obvious, oh, I know that. but I'm bringing on an old favorite, something I've featured before. I believe this happened in our, uh, actually, as I uh, referenced earlier, our second to last Wheel of Time episode where we had the last battle and I was sipping, 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 sipping on Writer's Tears, Copper Pot, the Irish whiskey triple distilled and... Um, Oh boy, it's been a lovely bottle. I actually finished it on this episode of Inking Out Loud. Um, Ooh, nice. It, honestly, and I swear, this could be because it's an Irish whiskey or whatnot. It, it's so local that it could be inspired a lot, but I swear it tastes more like a scotch than a whiskey. Well, a scotch is a whiskey, but you know what I mean. It definitely has a lot of scotch to it. If I didn't see the bottle it came out of, I would have thought I was drinking a scotch. It's definitely dark. It's smoky. It has a very, very lovely lingering aftertaste the burp is ah, <laughs> phenomenal <laughs> so yeah i have been sipping on writer's tears irish whiskey as i figured was appropriate for my return and uh you know exuberance upon the podcast if i may so yeah heck yeah i've been sipping on that love it how about yourself well uh yeah so i am drinking a beer from Firestone Walker Brewing Company okay. out in California. Uh, this is a this is one of their limited release series. Uh, looks like this was batch one of this particular beer, canned July twenty sixth, twenty twenty one. Had this one in the back of the fridge for a while, uh, and it's uh, it's one that you can age. It's a wild ale, uh, pineapple, mango, and tangerine sour ale, ripened in oak barrels is what the label says. 6% alcohol, so not anything too crazy. Uh, but I brought this one on for Emerus Tolera and and the encounter he had in his story. This beer is called Primal Elements. Ooh. Yeah. Very nice. I love it. 
yeah. feel like I'm coming back home when Drew has a thematically appropriate beer for the podcast that I'm on. <laughs> Thank you, man. Absolutely. That's yeah. dope. Yeah, like like Rob, you know, obviously I took uh, some time off from drinking as well. I better part of a year. Uh, and so I, I understand tolerance being way down. Oh, yeah. I bet. <laughs> uh, and just in general, like since I resumed drinking, I haven't been drinking as much. Uh, like I like being 40 pounds lighter. And obviously not all of that was from not drinking. Uh, in the last year, I've been playing a lot more hockey. I've been working out more, you know. But a a chunk of that for sure was alcohol weight that I dropped. And I, you know, I don't particularly feel like I'm in a rush to put it back on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I like fitting in my, my jeans and my dress pants from when I was in college and not having to go out and buy new clothes. So nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I def- think that go ahead. Sorry. I think that brings us to the end. You know, the, this is not a, a standard numbered episode, but this is a celebration of 200. Uh, I'm not even sure what the next episode is going to be uh, after we release this. It might be, might either be uh Tress part two or Senlin ascends. Uh, I don't know. Something like that. It'll be one of those. Um, but, you know, we're just grateful that we've been able to go 200 episodes, uh, that we've had such amazing continued support over the last four years. Um, mm-hmm. The generosity of our, our uh, you know, supporters on Patreon, the community that we've been able to start building on Discord, the writing groups, uh, just the journey through these stories and and discovering new things we love and sometimes things we hate, you know, and yeah. that's all, all part of the fun. Yeah. And 200 down, hopefully we got 200 more to go. And Hell yeah. uh, as you've seen today, Rob is not gone. He will be making occasional appearances yep. when possible. Yep. And we got a lot of fun still to go. Yeah. And honestly, in the meantime, before I actually make a regular return, if you want more stories about what I went through in basic, just ask me. Like I'm looking at like six more here that I didn't tell today. At least that's just what came to me today. <laughs> so if you want more, let me know. Uh, I'm 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 an open book, except for things that I can't quite talk about. But you know that that's far fewer. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, I've, I've really enjoyed sitting down with you again, buddy. It's been like I missed you oh, a yeah. lot when I was in basic. I missed you so much. I missed my dog. Dude, it's I missed my family. I missed a lot. I miss Brandon it's Sanderson. To have you back. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's been great. And and yeah. So nearly two hours in. We're calling this one a wrap. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye, everyone.